Night Moons is brought to you in part by our friends at Logos Bible Software. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. Do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in Scripture. It's like having a personal Bible study research assistant. Stop at one platform. Welcome in, everybody. Now, this is Night Moods. I am Michael, and we're in the middle of a conversation, kind of a different spin on what Night Moods is all about here. I have one of, uh, I want to say she's one of my favorite people who I met on Twitter. Um, she's going to be coming on. Actually, we're in the middle of a conversation, so I'm just going into this as if we just started it, but we really haven't started. But I got to do some house cleaning stuff first. This program is episode, this episode is brought to you by, in part by our friends at Logo Bible Software. Logos combines digital books with intelligent software to help you study the Bible deeply. You can do word studies with one click, search for virtually anything in your Bible, and enjoy dozens of features that help you see more in the scriptures. It's like having a personal Bible studies research assistant. Click the link in this episode and get your copies of Logos 10. Welcome in to Night Moods. We have been on this roller coaster of a conversation for the better part of 30 minutes. And I am really excited about the continuation of where we're going. Never know what happens inside the lab here. But I got, I want to say she's a good friend of mine from social media because I've been the caboose and she's been in the front of the train. And I've been on a journey learning through. Miss Rena Watts, Rena, welcome into the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to find out and that we, we were both in Chicago too. I know. I was so like, hey, when I when I when I sent you that message, I'm like, you're in Chicago, and then you said, no, I'm in Texas. I was like, oh, bummer, just straight up bummer. Um, you guys, we gotta get you guys caught up here. All the night eagles listen to the show. Um, you're listening to the live stream. Yes, I got that right because I asked Rena about it, so she told me. And for you listening to the podcast, thank you for listening. Remember to support not only Night Moves, but support what Rena is doing. We're going to be talking about what her podcast is all about, even her business, her life coaching, um, and the exercise of life that she is a part of, how she's changing the lives of many of her connections. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. What a warm, amazing intro. You are a fantastic host. Well, this is fun because I feel like I was getting a text message, get on the show. <laughs> so like literally we have been here having a conversation offline and you have missed out on a whole bunch. So we're going to talk a little bit. We're going to be around the miracle round of life. Uh, we're going to talk about maybe faith. We're going to talk about business. We're going to be talking about just life in general because as I've learned, life can really distract you and it could get sucky sometimes. So we're going to talk about some personal things inside the lab. And yes, I do use Logos 10. It is phenomenal if you just want to learn about the scriptures, about theology, about the different formats of scholars. Get yourself Logos 10, get the link, and you will never miss out. It's really kind of cool. So here we go. Let's kind of get back in on the on the track of life where we have been because we got to get them caught up. But then again, you just can't get caught up. You're caught up because we're, we might go back. We might not. I don't know where we're going to go. There's some questions. There's conversations one on one with Rena. And she's in the lovely land of Texas. 
I am now in the lovely land of Texas. It's much warmer. The people oh. are sweet and Southern. It's not so much the rat race anymore. Yeah. 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 Um, how how are you? I did I ask you did I send you this message? How is the culture with you from being a northerner and jumping into the deep state of Texas? How is the culture? Yeah, you know, when I first moved here, I was like, this place feels like a totally different country. <laughs> it did. But at the same time, I think when you move anywhere, it's kind mm -hmm. of exciting. You know, me and my husband started checking out comedy clubs, and I think by going to comedy clubs in different areas, you see what's funny, what people mm -hmm. are laughing at. And mm -hmm. that kind of gives you insight into what people believe in the area. Yeah. Now, now I was in, I have a mind, he was in the service and this was around Katrina, Rita and Wilma before I went and, and, and worked with the Red Cross down there. We, I flew into Dallas, um, had an opportunity to cause playing football back then and we we got into as kind of a funny story because uh i'm like kent we gotta go down to the stadium so we actually walked in the stadium and walked in the football on, on the field and did a workout and security thought we were part of uh, the club it was really kind of funny even got pictures it was really kind of interesting um but i was saying all that to say this i went to deep ellum am i saying that right ellum deep ellum is downtown dallas area and got to kind of take in the vibe. So it was really kind of like a mini, like a mini Schomburg or like a mini, you know, just different culture. I'm like, really? And he was like, yeah. And then you have a, a high Indian population. I said, in, in Texas? He said, yeah, let's go down. Let's go check it out. And I'm like, and I heard my first conversation from an Indian family who was speaking with a Southern accent. I was like, get out. <laughs> so I'm looking, I'm like, what you can you say that again, please? Because that sounded like it was like a southern accent, and you're from India. It was just really kind of the craziest thing. It's my journey yeah. down and down. Yeah, that's the thing too. I do feel like Texas is very diverse, which I like. Yeah, um, it's very diverse. And you see that taking your kids to the jumpy houses, or taking them to the zoo, or going to different museums. So I really like that. Okay, here we go. They don't know you. I have been having this awesome, I'm telling them, I have an awesome conversation. You just missed out. I'm sorry. You guys have missed out. Don't know if we're going to get back there, but Rena, can we, we learn a little bit more about who Rena is, where you come from, what you do, if you're making nine figures? I, I don't know. Just, you know. <laughs> if I were, I would be humble about it, but I'm not. Um, so yeah, you asked me the question, who is Rena? And I thought since you did say that you're a spiritual guy, even though we don't have to so much talk about religion, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in Kentucky and God dropped me there as a Jew. And I feel like I have kind of embraced that now. I didn't, as a child, so much, so much like that. Yeah. But what's oh. interesting is the more you embrace your uniqueness, like that is strange, right? Like I, I went on a Passover retreat in New Jersey and like, I realized at that point, like me and my husband were the only Jews from the South at the entire event of hundreds of people, right? And so the owner of the event was like, 
hey, y'all from Kentucky, you know, and even when I went to like summer camps or different trips places, I was always the Jew from the South. I made friends with other Jews from the South, right? And so now wow. that's even part of my story, you know? That's I, cool. I, yeah, I'm like trying to figure out why God did that. But I would say that is a part of who I am because it wasn't something that I was always proud of growing up. Really? Yeah. I, I felt like an other. I felt different. And is that because of the history that involves our, our Jewish brothers and sisters? Or, or is it because of the the craziness against our Jewish brothers and sisters? I think it was just that Kentucky, the time that I was growing up there, was very black and white, you know? Yeah. And I didn't fit into either one of those categories. So people were always guessing what I was. They're like, are you Italian? Are you Hispanic? Are you Bohemian? They didn't know what to make of me. And so I just wow. didn't feel like I fit in. So you're on the other side of the spectrum. That's got to be crazy. And to even be qualified on that level would be, uh, I don't know if I could describe that. So yeah, I appreciate how you're, I'm just saying, I don't know if I could, it'd be kind of different. You know, people look at me like I'm crazy and like, well, you're, you know, you're just black. So no, my mother's Portuguese. So no, I'm not just from Africa. No, my mom's from Portuguese. Sorry. I hate to, hate to surprise you. What else is so interesting is other Jews that have had the experience. I met another guy on Twitter recently who was like, I got so sick of people asking me, like, what is your heritage? What is your culture? Where are you from? And and growing up, I could relate to that. People were constantly saying, what are you? I'm like, I'm American, uh, you know? And they're like, no, but what are you? You know what I mean? Oh, it, wow. That was never a sufficient answer. And right. so I can relate to other people that have experienced that where they're like, what are you? You know, I, I actually just read this book by Miriam Feldman. It's called God Said What? And she talked about growing up American, secular, not wanting to be religious and constantly mm -hmm. being asked that question. And so she majored in German. She went to Germany to try to find out why people were anti-Semitic. She thought if everybody could just get along, that there would be world peace. But what she wasn't recognizing is that that was part of her makeup. That is part of her culture. It's not just a religion. Mm -hmm. And so she had to right. embrace it. And when she started doing that, she began to flourish. Her soul began to flourish. She started having more of a spiritual connection to who she was. And there's so much of a richness. Um, I have a, a two friends. Um, one Jill and I went to school with, and he's down in Florida. And we have been friends since 87. And I didn't realize he was Jewish. And so we've had a whole richness and vastness of conversations about God because he knows I don't play around religion. And I'm like, really, Nathan? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, he said, the last name didn't throw you? I'm like, no, because I really, you know, I, like what you were just saying, like, who are you? Who are you? For me, it was more here is the heart of the matter is the heart mm. and the character of a person. And so and then my other friend who is in Tel Aviv, I met him in Chicago, a kind of a God thing. And he was uh, Omer was the director of the Israeli consulate of tourism. And so I got some awesome perks. And that was my journey to not just wanting to know about the religion, but 
to learn about the culture and the community and how it's like how we say oh you're everyone's spanish or everyone's mexican no no not not even close it's, it's just a it's really kind of cool to learn about the different cultures through the many friends that i have so i can understand a little bit about what you're saying there really yeah and and what my experience has been like right and that's all right. we can share with each other is like what experiences have we had and what's our truth and that kind of will take me into the next part of this. So I ended up going to a private Jewish school, like kindergarten to fifth grade. And then I went to public school and it was a whirlwind. Like I was so sheltered and then so picked on. And mm -hmm. then I went from that to auditioning to a youth performing arts school. And I kind of found my people there. Okay. People that, beat to their own drum and they had kind of like hidden talents. The thing is, is that I didn't get in on my first try. So this was my first brush of rejection. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm not going to my home school, the, the home neighborhood <laughs> school. I got to get in here. So my dad actually went to bat for me. He went to the head of the music department and was like, hey, you know, she might start like an outside horse from behind, but she's going to finish in the front. And so he got me music lessons. Yeah. And I learned how to read music and I learned how to sight read and I learned how to sing in a foreign language. And I swallowed my pride. I re-auditioned and I ended up getting in. And so I stayed. I know another question that you asked me was like, who was your mentors? I stayed in this very rigorous, tough, competitive program for four years when I wanted to quit every single day. This teacher was really hard, really critical, and the people around me were so unbelievably talented that I never felt on their level. Like I was like, oh, I got rejected the first time. These people uh -huh. are better than me. I never sang out. Like a piece of my confidence was taken away since I didn't get in that first try. And so for four years, though, I kept showing up. I kept surrounding myself by A players. I kept surrounding myself by people that made it to the Boston Conservatory, that made it to Juilliard, that became the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls, right? Mm -hmm. I was surrounded by major talent. And wow. you know what? I didn't go to Juilliard, but I did get a small, you know, art college that offered me a full ride. And I went to school in Charleston, West Virginia. And... I even got a partial scholarship from a local synagogue in town that wanted me to sing and be a part of their choir. And I felt like I had made it in some way. And that really lit something in me. You know, I didn't quit. I didn't give up. And somebody believed in me. And I had a teacher, uh, this Mr. Hornbreaker, shout out to him because I'm connected to him still on Facebook, that he thought I was the greatest thing. You know, so I think that that's, there's a lesson in that too. Like, who are the people that have taken chances on you? Who are the people that see the greatness in you? You've got to find mm -hmm. those people because that will make you great. Oh, that's like, you know, I, I, that could probably be a lesson in itself. What you just unpacked right there. This is what I found find and found so inspiring. That's why I couldn't find a word when we were talking uh, before the show. Um, you're like this treasure trove of, of inspiration you know now if you guys need to understand if you're not on twitter get on twitter i, I know twitter has her issues i get it, i get it 
but you're going to find some really cool people. Like I can't remember how I connected with you, to be honest with you. It was just kind of like, you know, you should follow this person. And then I'm like, mm, let me see what this person's talking about. And I'm like, oh, okay. Interesting. So you, I, for me, I love learning. And so through, like I was telling you, through you, I have been learning a great deal of people connection, which is was something for me that was, I, I'm okay with that. I'm solid. I'm good. But it's just on a whole other level where where you we use our people skills and what's between our ears to really learn about who we are through the vastness of conversation. So you're inspiring. And just like what you just shared could be very, very um, inspirational for someone listening right now. I'm telling you guys, you got to follow Miss Rena. Thank you. you really yeah, did. the craziest now, part. Show. Go I, ahead. I, I didn't tell you the craziest part of the story. So like I mentioned, I oh. went to school with the lead singer of the Pussycat Dolls, Nicole Scherzinger. And Favorite. Yeah, she's incredibly talented. And right before I performed for all of the colleges on that that day before they offer up the scholarships, she took me into the music closet and said to me, Rena, I have seen you for the last four years. Like today is the day that you need to sing out. She was like, I will sit in the front row. And she did. She bobbed her head. She affirmed me. She helped me believe in me. And I sang to her and I sang out. And like I said, I got two offers to two small schools. And the one that wanted me more, I went to because I wanted to be wanted. But if you can affirm wow. someone else, if you can yeah. be that person, if you can bob your head, if you can help somebody share their truth, that's what I want to do for others. I think you're doing it. I That is your present from what I have been like a sponge and like a fly in the wall, if I could say. And, and many of your episodes are, you know, you only can know so much about someone on, on the Twitter space as what we deliver. But to be a sponge on a wall, yeah, I, I believe that's what you're doing right now because of what your podcast show is about. And not just your podcast show, like what you said, this is your experience. So you are allowing others your to, to be at the table of your experience. And so for us who are sitting at the table, we can choose to relate with what's what you're given and what you're presenting, which I really think is really kind of cool, by the way. Thank you really so much. And to have Nicole pour into you, that's like power affirmation. It was amazing. I mean, she was a triple threat. I mean, as you've seen, her career has completely blown up. And she didn't even finish college. But she has completely leaned into her talents, 100%. She has followed that to the nth degree. And I have so much respect for people like that. Yeah, and yeah, I was just going to say, that's what keeps me going too. Like, I am motivated every single day to connect with people in this way. Like, I never get tired of it. So if there's something that you're drawn to that you get energized from, mm -hmm. you got to do more and more and more and keep chiseling away at perfecting it and refining it and getting better at it. You know, you, you what you just said, it took me back to two weeks ago because, you, you know, everybody here um, have been, Michael, just move forward, take one step, just move forward. And so I'm on 
the social media platform, not so much on the Facebook, except for the one moment I had when I had the meltdown. But I'm on Twitter and it's still, it's like being the caboose. You know, it's like I'm being dragged on in a way where affirmations, find someone who is going to pour in and whether you have a, a handful or a body full or a cup full, you have something that's going to be like, okay, I'm gonna come back. I really don't feel like coming back, I'm gonna come back. No, life is sucks for me right now, but I'm gonna come back. I'm just going to just be present and allow the experience not to crush me, but to maybe kind of build me up if I'm open to living. And so that's why I say you're inspiring to myself and others just because of, uh, of where God has you and experiencing life and how what you said you, you want to help and you want to meet so many other people. And we never know when we meet others what's in store for us. And so that's kind of been the journey for the last year. Because, guys, I've only known Rena for the last year. It's really kind of cool. And she has this massive background, as she's telling you. I'm thinking she's more than what she, what I have known, because I'm not, I wasn't in her inner circle. And she'll tell you, there's some key players in my life on the Twitter space I wanted to interview. So this is an interview waiting in the background to bring to you guys, because she has been doing some phenomenal things I want to talk about. Um, because you may not know from looking at her here, not on the podcast, but you're watching on a live stream. She was a producer and doing some some cool things in the media space. And what was that like? And how did you even get a part of that? I was going to ask you. What what made that dovetail? Was it learning uh, when you're at uh, West Virginia to get into, not West Virginia, Charleston? Yeah. How did you get into that space? Okay, great question. So I will say that after going to that really hard program for four years, yeah. the top school in Kentucky, Charleston was kind of a cakewalk, to be honest. Oh. Like I was partying and getting a 4.0. And by my junior year, I wanted more. And so mm. I ended up transferring to Purdue. And ah. I probably wouldn't have honestly gotten into Purdue had I not done so well at Charleston, but I decided to transfer. And then at Purdue, I got a job at the on-campus radio station. It was an NPR station. And okay. Okay. That lit something in me. Like I just loved being in the booth and I loved like creating voice tracks and mm -hmm. doing my own creative intros and editing the news stories to make them more interesting and mm -hmm. the head of the station let me do that. And so I applied to WGN from the career resources at Purdue. Okay. I ended up interviewing at WGN, which is like a legendary station in Chicago. I yeah. didn't get the job. So here you go. Here's another rejection story. But the thing is, is that ha since I had already experienced rejection in my life, it didn't throw me too far off. And I saw that Jerry Springer was looking for interns in that same courtyard. So my interview at WGN was walking distance from the NBC Tower at the time. Yes. 
yes. the Tribune Tower was right across the way from NBC. And I saw a flyer that Jerry was looking for interns. So the same day, I walked over from WGN to NBC Tower. I told him I was there to meet with the intern coordinator. And I started two weeks later. I'm telling you, this woman is head focused. She goes after what she wants. And she she's like a pit bull who's hungry and will not take no for an answer. I This is really kind of cool. So that's how you got into NBC. That's how I started at Springer. And to be honest, I knew no one. I ended up sleeping on some guy's couch off of Craigslist for the first two months of me living in Chicago. Crazy. And I was like eating out of cans and working a hundred hour weeks. And then I went from intern to associate producer in about, I think it was like two, two, three months. And the end of the first season, I got the opportunity to produce a show because I was like booking. That's the thing. That's how you get um, that's how you get promoted is whoever can get the guests and whoever can get the best stories, that's how you get promoted. So I started listening to all the people that were bringing the best stories on the phone. I'm like, oh, what are they saying to get the best people here? And as mm -hmm. an intern, I was hanging out with the guests. I was taking them around town. So I kind of got to know like what types of stories they were looking for, who were the best guests. And then if you can befriend mm -hmm. them, if you can make them like you, if you can make them trust you, if you can get them to come, you're getting promoted. So that is what I did. You just put in the hard work. You didn't. It you didn't sound like you didn't take the easy route. You you put in the hard work, and you you learn from people who were raising the game before you. It's really kind of intriguing. What did you like most about that, and what didn't you like most about that? That 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 part that part of your life. Yeah, what I liked most was when somebody told me a story over the phone, and it was like a fire story. Like I felt the story through the phone. And then I got them to unfold it in the same way on stage. That was a high for me. Okay. I get yeah. that. I, I love that. that. But what I didn't like is it was taking over my entire life. I was living and breathing the show. I was obsessed with it. I became a workaholic. I couldn't, I couldn't separate the Jerry Springer show from my life. So really? I was living and breathing it. I didn't even know that I was experiencing burnout until afterwards, but, and I know that's kind of an overused term, but yeah. when I say burnout, I'm talking about, I was waking up in the middle of the night, like still thinking, you know, that I was like there, I, like every oh, single wow. day was the same for me. Like seven days a week, I was just living and breathing the show. My friends were the show. My life was the show. I was putting everything else second. I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day. I was super unhealthy. I had no balance. And that is not maintainable long-term. I didn't see it as maintainable long-term. Something had to give. And truthfully, after producing the season opener for the third season, I had worked on the show and it was like an insane show. Like everybody was like congratulating me and I was feeling mm -hmm. good. One mm -hmm. of the guests came up to me and he said, how can you live with yourself? Oh, and that stopped me in my tracks. You know, it went uh, from people were pouring their heart and soul out to me and I was helping it unfold and they knew what they were getting into to me kind of thinking like, am I destroying people's lives? Is there something else I could be doing that's more redeeming? Like, are there other shows that I could work on? Have I proven myself enough? 
And I literally, that day, I took a mm. white box, I packed up my stuff, and I never looked back. Wow. Do you ever go back to watch reruns? Oh, yeah. or do you, do oh, you, yeah. Okay. Do you watch Steve's show? I have a little bit. What's crazy is I worked on the pilot for the Steve show. I never thought that show would have gotten picked up or lasted as long as it has. <laughs> I just saw last week, and I'm like, 2020. Three, he's still rocking it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. That's amazing to me. It really is. Um, so you have a drive factor. And now, okay, this this is really not this is how my brain works, because you know, we just go where where we go, right? So what do you now having tasted, I guess, success on that level, what do you consider success for you? Ooh, that is such a hard and good question. My definition of success has for sure changed because at one time, yeah, it was how many times can I get my name in the credits, right? Which is so ego-based, right? Right. I think now, and, and even what drew me to my husband like when I met him, I was on working on Nanny 911 as a post-production supervisor for the third season. Mm-hmm. I think success now is is having balance, like being able oh. to do what you love, but also getting on the treadmill, drinking water, getting a full night's sleep, giving back to the community, making money. Yes, but it shouldn't define you. Oh, that's good. I, I know I have pencil and paper, but that's good. See, because I like that because I guess there's this prescribed commonality of what success is supposed to be across the board. And so like you, I'm like, for me, I've had to redesign what I consider success or me. Yes. I've even said, if my success isn't, you know, the the, the five figures or four figures or maybe not even the three figures then so be it. I really don't care because I understand a a good name is better than riches. I'd rather have my name solid and rather have me as having good character, morals and integrity versus, well, Michael, you know, just throw some money at him and he'll, he'll do and say what you need him saying. And, you know, like what you said, there's credits, he's got street credibility. He's got ministry credibility. You know, his business is doing whatever it's doing because of who he's rocking with at at that moment. So, there are just things that I won't buy into because I don't want to tarnish who I have cultivated since 20, being 21, 22 years of age. Because everything before that was kind of like me in a Petri dish. <laughs> I was, you know, I'm, I'm the experiment. And so I was tired of being the experiment to everyone's entertainment. Uh, I can just relate to so much of what you just said because there were many years of my life as well where, yeah, if somebody was willing to pay me, I would market them. And now it's much more of, are you marketable? And do your values align with my values? Because I can't just be bought. Right. See, it's really kind of cool. I had to take a breath here because like we have literally been going at it. It's really kind of cool because... It's just authentic. And so I'm talking with Rena. And Rena is the host and CEO of 
Better Call Daddy. This is a podcast show that if you just look at the title, you would probably say what you want to say or think what you want to think until you get into the chapters of her her life book. And this this episode, this this podcast, this creation is a life book to me. Because as I was telling you before, it's it's like a diamond. And you think you're getting something based on comedy or something entertaining. But no, you go deep and you go hard. And it's about like what, you, what you're saying. How can you give back? And so I, what I've learned about you is everyone or everyone that I have been able to listen to, it's like you peel it away. And then when you lay it back down, it's better. That is such a nice compliment. I will say that my dad has always been my biggest cheerleader and mm -hmm. my number one fan. And he always wanted his own show. So in some ways, I do feel like this is a legacy piece for him. I'm like, you know what? Wow. I can help make that dream come true for him. And he's given me so much wisdom that I want to share my dad's wisdom with the world. And I feel like the world is very much missing the intergenerational connection right now. Yes. And so I'm bringing inter intergenerational wisdom back. Cosine. I said, mic drop. I got a microphone right here, but I can't touch it. That's for the radio. Uh, mic drop. <laughs> and also, too, another thing, and even thinking about creating a theme song was like, if you don't have a dad, you can adopt mine. If you need somebody that, you know, can pick you up or can answer some questions that you don't have anybody else to ask those questions to, like, my dad's pretty good. And, mm -hmm. and he's able to talk about all kinds of subject matters. So he's, he's open. <laughs> He's open, you know, sometimes I might have to edit him a little bit, but he's, he's from a different place. He's from a different time and he's real. And, you know, growing up, I didn't always appreciate that about him. I was kind of embarrassed by it, but again, mm -hmm. that goes back to accepting who you are. And I love that my dad has always been comfortable in his own skin and he helps others feel that way too. So dad has really inspired you. How, how, what role does your mom play in your life? That's a tough and question. And does she play? That's a tough question. I will say that my relationship with her, I wish was better. Mm. Um, she had me really young. She's still okay. with my dad. I mean, <laughs> uh, she got married right out of high school. You know, mm -hmm. they were high school sweethearts. And mm -hmm. One thing that I will say is that she was really good at schlepping all her kids to every activity that they wanted to do. And I think that that gave us all an edge to follow our passions. That's oh. something that I don't feel like I'm as good at as her. <laughs> but I do question, was it because she wanted to look cool to the community or that she okay. wanted to fulfill something within herself? And so I have tried to get my kids into different activities and right now they're each in one. So kudos to me because as a mom of four, that's a lot. Yeah. Um, but I don't force my kids to be in activities when they're done with them. I'm like, are you really done? Or 
you know, is this something I should push you to do? Or have you gone as far as you want to go and you want to explore something else? So right. I, I feel like my mom a little bit forced me to continue with things instead of maybe becoming like a specialist in one area. I think it's okay to just focus on one thing. I'm actually really proud of my daughter. You know, we moved to a new school this year and she's a, a girly girl, my daughter. I mean, the fake nails, she goes to Sephora and spends hundreds. She buys products. I don't even know what they are. And <laughs> all of the friends in her grade joined the basketball team. And she decided, you know, to join the basketball team too, even though she had never played and she spent most of the season on the bench. But I was like, oh. wow, I'm so proud of you. And she even made a basket on the second to last game and the team went wild for her. And I That's think cool. it's so good to encourage your kids to do things that they might not believe in themselves to do because that's how you get great is accomplishing things that you didn't think you could this is like so fun for me. are you having fun i'm having fun i i was going back to the mom thing again because i truthfully that's something i don't really talk about and i wish i could talk about more but i've kind of respected that she doesn't want me to talk about her yeah understand, yeah um, understand i think that i will say is that you know it, it really does go back to the fact that she had me young and um my mom was that, 17 when she had me yeah my mom got pregnant with me at 18 so there you go right like she was mm -hmm. a baby they were babies and how yeah. can you really prepare children for the world when you didn't experience the world right right Right. She's loving, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. I know she loves me, but there were times in my life where I just didn't feel like I could get direction from her that I wanted that direction, you know? Now, are you, where are you at in the siblings? Are you oldest, middle child, younger? I'm the oldest. How about You're you? The oldest. You're the oldest. oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah. We, we take the brunt of everything. That's what I'm saying. I'm a Petri dish. Exactly. So, I definitely one. feel like I took the brunt of everything. And oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's we, we become the test of how to to, I guess, raise a kid. Right. And like what you're saying, my parents are 17 and 18. So to this day, like when I'm flying with mom or when we're traveling, they're like, hey, you know, your sister's nice. I'm like, dude, that's my mother. <laughs> Check yourself. That's my mother. No way. I'm like, yeah, that's my mother. And some people think sometimes she's my girlfriend. I'm like, oh, you're so far stretch. That's my mom. So we, you know, it's kind of interesting. But yeah, it's just like being that you learn a lot from the experiences. And so then, you know, I look at myself in this hierarchy of, of eldership. And it's just it's different from my younger brothers. Oh, yeah. What they experience um, and how we experience quality time with our parents and for me it's totally different um with my background being estranged from my family and then coming back to loves park after you know being around uh the states and just like man it'd be great to just kind of connect you know it'd be really cool to, to have that community within a family at times i feel like my dad I was really close with his mom too. So okay. even though I couldn't have that real closeness with my mom, 
I feel like my dad's mom was a second mom to me. Like I grew up with all four of my grandparents almost walking distance from our house. And so they were like second parents to me. So again, like since my mom had me young, one beautiful advantage of that was knowing all of my grandparents and many of my great grandparents. And that very much shaped me. That's like, you don't hear about that anymore. Cause I, we grew up the same way. Like yep. I knew, well, I can't say I knew, man, my mom didn't allow us to be with my dad's side of the family, but we had our grandparents and a whole heap of cousins and you know 11 uncles on one, 11 aunts and uncles, and then nine aunts and uncles on the other side. So it was, you know, it was a, family reunion every time we would come together to either side of the family. So I definitely connected with, for you, you connected with your dad's mom. I connected with my dad's mom and my mom's mom more so than my mom, you know, just because it was looking back then it was tough. Yeah. You know, mom was 17. I was in her when she was a senior at Auburn high school. And from Auburn, she went and worked for, for uh, a NASA company. And that's all she did was set a circuit board and make circuit boards for the space shuttle program, you know? And so now I'm sure I was, um, well, I don't know. Were you a latchkey kid? I, I was. And also my mom got a lot of babysitters. Like <laughs> she had kids by I think 25 26 and she was overwhelmed and I can relate to that too I mean Mm. I've got four kids now and not a lot of help and it's it's a lot yeah crazy just crazy this is a conversation one-on-one with myself and Rena sitting here inside night with Rena are you okay because we have been we have been at this for a little bit and I want to be mindful of your time here because you know we're almost coming to the end of the show, I think about 20 more minutes on the live broadcast, but we have been talking for a long time here. So I feel like I've known Rena for a few years here. And so you're getting a little bit of, of what it is like to just be a part of a conversation. And so this is for me really neat. And the experience of getting to know you has really been fun for me. On this level, it really so has. Thank you. Yeah, me too. Because I feel uh, like we have a lot in common. It's so cool. We do. I'm like, we're like cousins from a different village. We just met each other. It's like happy reunion, guys. <laughs> just amazing. Um, we talk about wisdom. Now, I'm going to throw a soft question at you. What's the best wisdom you received up to date? Mm. I took note of something my dad said this morning. I have to say in my work life, the the biggest wisdom is that you better have somebody second take a look at contracts that you sign. Yes. That has been a big lesson to me. If somebody says, oh, I've got your back or, oh, you can trust me, you better have a third party look at contracts and somebody who has your best interests in mind, look at anything legal that you sign. Yeah. And then 
alongside that, it's always good to laugh because if you don't laugh, you'll cry. <laughs> That's a good point there. Yeah, so true. Yeah, I, I laughed this weekend um, on the way out to Fort Collins. So it's very liberating. It's like I've been like in this prison for three weeks, literally put me in a prison, put me in the end of the cave behind the boulder with a little bit of sprinkling water and no food. That's where I've been. It's been crazy. I think you so, need yeah. to head up to a comedy club. You know, actually, I feel like one thing that has really helped my marriage, I mean, I've been married now for 15 years, is that oh. for seven of those years, seven years, we did date night once a week. That is an investment, okay? And the last couple of years, we're just going to comedy clubs together, having a couple drinks and laughing. And I think that that, I, I wish we could do it every week still. You know, like wow. it's crazy. Like we just moved across country. He's got a new job where he has to prove himself. All my kids are adjusting to new schools. You know, one needs glasses. One's having a bat mitzvah. One's still in my bed. You have to make time for each other. And I do think that it's a message even to myself that you got to have adult time where you're not just talking about bills, where you're not just talking about kids, where you can laugh and have a good time. Right. Yeah. We got to talk some more. Yeah. Yeah. And no date night happening. It was, you know, just work child out of six and you know, what's, what's coming due, what's, you know, church ministry, the business, blah, 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 blah. And no, no interaction. So yeah, we got to talk some more. Speaking of prison, too, because there was this guy, yeah. Craig, Craig Stanlin, who I had on, and he just did this post on LinkedIn today about what he learned from prison. What simple oh. things that he learned from, from going to prison for fraud. And he was talking about journaling being like his number one thing and writing down daily. This is the hard part. Consistency. Daily. Yeah. Daily journaling daily writing down what he's thankful for. And when you're in prison, you're thankful for clean sheets. You're thankful right. for heat. You're thankful for a soft mattress and nobody messing with you in the middle of the night. You know what right. I mean? And if right. God, I was just reading this other book too that a guest sent me, uh, Deborah Driggs sent me a book called Son of Basque. And her grandfather grew up, you know, during the depression and he was a hobo and he was hopping boxcars and having to eat apricots and, and cans of beans. I mean, God, we live in such a time of abundance. Can of you imagine? Abundance. I mean, we I have know. H E B and Jewel and all these amazing grocery stores, which make eating affordable and delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. You just said boxcar. I remember that because I would hear the stories of my grandpops. Um, this generation wouldn't even know what that means. I'm telling you, it's like, it's totally this generation to what it was. And our generation, and I'm sure our generation was like that to our grandparents. They're like, you guys wouldn't understand what, what the depression was like because you have everything. I'm like, yeah, stop complaining. Realize you have more on acceleration than a hundred years. Like, you know, a new phone every two years is kind of re retarded. You know, it's like I got to have the latest, greatest gadget or, you know, the, the, the clothes or the shoes is like, man, in the 70s. Um, Buster Browns, just give me a pair of Buster Browns. I am straight with some Buster Browns. <laughs> yeah. And 
I, like I said, I grew up in Kentucky, very humble. And then I went from getting a job at Jerry Springer and being around these big city girls and then wanting big city things. So yeah. I was like, oh my God, like I thought success was being able to get my hair done at Mario Chicosi. I thought success <laughs> was seriously being able to get facials and being able to like get all of these extras that was like a normal thing for the girls in the office. And then I moved to LA and then that was on steroids, you know, a major, major. Oh my God. It major. is still crazy. Like you can always look at people and think they have better than me or they're further along than me. But I think again, the, the grass is not really always greener and everybody has trauma. Everybody has drama and you just got to keep leaning into what brings you joy and mm -hmm. the people who are your cheerleaders. I mean, even on social mm -hmm. media, right? Like, you know who the people are that are showing up for you. They show up yeah. for you on multiple platforms, right? So go support yeah. them back. I don't believe you right. have to have a million followers. I really don't. I don't believe you have to have a thousand downloads per episode. I think support the people who support you keep supporting them, go mm -hmm. deep with them, grow mm -hmm. those relationships. Don't be a one and doneer. Don't be a tit for tatter. Don't be like a, you know, and really just try to have impactful conversations that will enrich your life. Man, this is, this is fun. You guys, you, you just answered a question that, well, you kind of answered a question. How, how do you want to improve the quality of life? I think you just, you kind of nailed it right there. You know, how do you improve? And then my other question to that, my lead up question is this, that life or this life? Mm. What do you prefer more, that life or this life? What is bringing you more quality to you and, and the babes and, and the husband? That life or this life? That's a great question. And for a long time, I didn't think I could have both because when I worked in entertainment, mm -hmm. it was just entertainment. And it was before I had kids. But I will say that I have been fortunate now to be able to manage my own productions. And I have worked on healthcare podcasts that I do while my kids are at school. And I have been able to help other people create marketing materials. And I can do that while they're at school. And you know what? Sometimes my husband is gracious enough to let me do a seven to 10 hour shoot on a weekend. And I can still show up for my kids' class performances. Do I have to say no to some opportunities when like some people want me to travel or do things that don't work with my schedule and I don't currently have a nanny? You know what I mean? Like I can't mm -hmm. say yes to everything, but mm -hmm. I can say mm -hmm. yes to both. I can, it is possible. What's interesting is I'm getting ready to interview this nanny who had me on her show. She's from Chicago. She did a show called Windy City Nanny. And oh. it was right after I'd had my last kid. So it was about three years ago. I had a preemie. He came seven weeks early. Oh. And at the time I was working full time. I had a nanny. It was pre right before COVID. And I was living the best life. I was working for an influencer. I was making a steady check. I was, mm -hmm. you know, being a part Just of doing it. I was doing it. You know, my older three were pretty independent. And then I decided to mix things up and have a baby seven weeks early. <laughs> but I got picked to be on this show. And this nanny said to me, you still can have it all. 
you still can have it all. You may need some help. You got to find your tribe. You got to find your village, but you can do it. If that's what you want, if that's what you truly want. And, and I shouldn't feel mom guilt about that either. No, no, not at all. No. And so I did. I ended up hiring an Annie for the first time in my life because I could afford it from the role that I had. And I did that for about nine months. And then COVID happened and mixed things up again. And then I decided that, you know, I had four kids at home and they came first and they were going through a lot and they needed me. And there's going to be ebbs and flows of life, right? You're going to sometimes make mm -hmm. more money and sometimes make less money. And sometimes you'll be able to do more things you love. And sometimes you're going to do less mm -hmm. things that you love. And some days you're not going to want to do anything at all. And all of that is okay because you are exactly where you are supposed to be. I, I, I need to have you back on, you know, we got, we got to come to a close. I got mixing up in the lab, uh, put you in the hot seat in the lab to ask you questions on, but this is, I, uh, you know, um, I hope to have you back on. I would you love know, to, I would love to. Cause you, to me is like we have we're like cousins from different villages and so this is really kind of awesome i hope you unite eagles if you have a question um about what rena does and we haven't got even into the depths of what you do because it's just been an animal conversation i've been having so much fun here um nightmoodshdq at gmail.com there are some questions that i'm going to hold for another episode with you just because we're up against time. We're up against time. I know you guys, we're up against time. I get it. But sometimes you save the best for last. And that's what we're going to do. That makes me tell you, stay tuned. Hopefully we'll get um, Miss Rena on for another show. Um, Better Call Daddy is the name of your podcast. Where else can the viewers and the listeners connect with you? So it's Rena Friedman Watts on LinkedIn, Rena Friedman Watts on Instagram, and then on Twitter where we connected, it's Rena Rena with two E's. So R E E N A R E E N A. Rena Rena is on Twitter. It is really kind of a. Uh, I like Twitter. I'm getting used to Twitter. Yes, it has issues, um, but if you have a question, she is a, a treasure trove of inspiration. She is a. Uh, an oasis in life and i told her i'm going i what i speak to her in private is, is also public she is exactly what god has in your life because we all have a pathway and she's like this person at the oasis and she's authentic she loves life and she cares truly about humanity and that's what I love about you, that you truly care about humanity and, and God has allowed you to do some amazing, amazing things and you're humble about it. And that's like the coolest part is your humility. And and, and for me, thank you so much. Thank you thank for being you. a part of, of the lab with me. Um, we got to close this down, you guys. I'm sorry, we got to close it down just for right now because I, I'm going to pray and hope that we can reschedule this phenomenal woman to come back to night moods to do part two and more insight. You got to get your hands on better call daddy. Get your hands on this. Just Google it. It's everywhere you get and learn and like your podcast. Um, we're on good pods. So connect with us on good pods too. Okay. 
Well, I love good pods. Work. Shout out good. good pods. And everybody subscribe, leave Michael a five-star review on Night Moods, and let's connect. Let's connect. Um, it's been a privilege to be here with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. You're amazing. You're a fantastic host. You made this fun. Thank you. Stay tuned for the next episode. Uh, Brenda Lofton, one of my mentors, is coming back into the lab. We're doing some repeats because we have some unfinished business. Thank you for joining me on Night Moves, everybody. Remember to subscribe and share and support the movement of community. All our guests are in the same situation. Support everything that we're doing here. And we appreciate you. Talk to you on the next time. Remember to love yourself as you love others and bless yourself before you bless others. God is good. Be well. Did you know the number of underserved and homeless kids is growing more and more every year? My organization, Project One Giant Step, also known as POGS, is the answer. We deliver hygiene bags and supply-filled backpacks to Loves Park and McChesney Park schools, giving them the encouragement they need to succeed in their education. To donate or learn more, check us out on the official Facebook page or give us a call at 779-207-2087. Remember, kindness is a muscle. Work it out.